Good morning. Our scripture for today comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And it says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was, a small, he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. And for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Perfect. Thank you, Lindsay. Good morning, guys. It is good to see if you have your Bible, go ahead and keep it open. Luke chapter 19. If you didn't bring a Bible, we always have them available on the way into the worship space. Man, I'm so thankful you're here. We are in a study that is taking us all the way through the story of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we're getting very close to the end of the story. Um, but as we follow along with Jesus in this study, as we follow along with his life, our goal is to, to learn to follow Jesus with our life. And that's our goal as we go to the text this week and every week, that as we are inspired, encouraged, and instructed by the Word of God, that we would learn to follow Jesus with our life. And then at some point, we have to make the decision to actually follow Jesus. We can be inspired, encouraged, and instructed every week, but today I pray that we will make the decision to follow Jesus as his word speaks to us. So to that end, let's pray and we'll dive right in. Father, we are so thankful for your goodness and grace. What a privilege it is to gather together as your people to sit under the authority of your uh, eternal word. I pray that it would speak directly to our soul wherever we are coming from today, whether we're trying to figure out faith for the very first time, whether we've been looking into this off and on for quite some time, or we've been following you, God. I pray that you would speak to us through your word, that we might leave looking more like you than when we arrived. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, John chapter, John chapter, Luke chapter 19, we've only been in it for eight months. Luke chapter 19, if you're joining us for the first time or the first time in a while, Jesus is on a journey to Jerusalem. This is the final journey to the capital city of Jerusalem. And just over a week from the point of today's story, Jesus is going to be nailed to a cross, crucified for our sins, and forever change the nature of God's relationship with mankind. But as he travels, he passes through the city of Jericho. John chapter 19, verse 1, it says this. It says, he, Jesus, Luke chapter 19, verse 1, he entered Jericho and was passing through. So Jesus is on this journey to Jerusalem. He's been a long journey, long time coming, but he's now just 15 miles from the city of Jerusalem, 15 miles from the cross. Jericho in those days was an incredibly influential city. In fact, um, not only was it close to the capital city of Jerusalem, it was on the major trade route uh, to and from Arabia, and it was one of the wealthiest cities in all of Israel. But it wasn't just a wealthy city, it was a beautiful city. Historians say that Jericho was and still is, it's still occupied today, situated on underground springs. So in the middle of the desert, Jericho was this beautiful oasis. It was called the, the City of Palms. And 
Fun fact, in 35 BC, when Roman politician Mark Anthony wanted to give a gift to woo his lover, Cleopatra, he gave her what? The city of Jericho. And so that just kind of sets the stage for the story that's about to unfold before our eyes. Jesus is on this journey to Jerusalem. He's coming through the desert. He comes to the city of Jericho, this beautiful oasis in the middle of the desert. And there he encounters a man named Zacchaeus. Verse 2, or verse 1, it says, He entered Jericho, was passing through, and behold, verse 2, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. You guys remember the story? Zacchaeus was a what? We little man. You don't even, like if you grew up in church, if you've ever driven by a church, you've probably heard the song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. When I was looking ahead at the text this week, I thought, what are we going to talk about with Zacchaeus? It is like the epitome of a Sunday school story, right? Zacchaeus was a short little guy, climbed a sycamore tree, Jesus calls him down. But the story of Zacchaeus is so much more than a Sunday school story to be celebrated. This real life encounter with Jesus changed the eternal trajectory of Zacchaeus' life. And I truly believe, no matter how long we've been trying to figure out faith or how long we followed Jesus, if, if we see where his story overlaps with our story, it will change the trajectory of our life. Because even in this first verse, when we first are introduced to Zacchaeus, we learn a lot. Maybe a lot more than we realize. And if we're honest, whether we like it or not, his story does overlap with our story. Zacchaeus is pretty relatable. It says Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Now that part may not be relatable, right? Um, but it's fascinating because in all of the Bible, this is the only place that we see the chief tax collector. Now, we know a lot about tax collectors. They're all throughout the New Testament because the New Testament was set in a time, took place in a time when Rome was taking over the world. And when Rome would conquer a country, their goal, as you might expect, was to extract all the money and all the resources out of that conquered country that they could. And so their strategy was when they would go in and conquer a people, they would choose tax collectors in every city from among the people, which was a brilliant strategy. Because if they went in and put their people in place as tax collectors, they wouldn't know where to find the money. But if uh, they wouldn't know the people, they wouldn't know the businesses, they wouldn't know how to find the money. So Rome, what they decided to do when they would conquer a people, they would choose tax collectors from among the people because they'd already lived there. They knew the people, they knew where the money was, and they could extract all of the resources out of the nation. And so tax collectors, it was an effective, incredibly effective strategy, but it caused tax collectors to be the most hated people in the country. They were viewed as traitors because they were taking money from their people, passing it on to an occupying power, all the time skimming money off the top. And think about like how much would you have to hate your people to be a tax collector? How much would you have to hate your people and love money to take money from your people and pass it on to an occupying nation. You have to hate them a lot. But then as I was reading this, I started wondering, like if I was just fully honest, like wonder what my price would be. Because these guys made a lot of money. Like what would my price be to betray my people? I didn't come up with a dollar amount. I figured I was probably pretty cheap because it, this would be a tempting situation. And the truth is where we find out how relatable we are to Zacchaeus, wouldn't we all do this at some point? Haven't we done it? Haven't we betrayed people, maybe not to collect taxes, but betrayed the trust of our friends, families, neighbors, and coworkers to promote ourselves? And certainly, we've all betrayed God to build ourselves up. We've turned our back on God. That was the situation Zacchaeus was in. But Zacchaeus wasn't just another tax collector. Tax collectors kind of came and went. Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector in the wealthiest city in all of Israel. 
Zacchaeus had done pretty well for himself. He had climbed the corporate ladder. He had uh, achieved an impressive position. He was awarded some power, and all along the way, he had accumulated a pretty nice portfolio. He was incredibly wealthy. From all outward appearances, even though he wasn't popular with his people, Zacchaeus had his life together. He had everything in order, but inwardly, something was stirring, a holy curiosity, a longing for more. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Verse 3 says, and he, Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowds, he could not because he was small in stature. This is so fascinating. So Zacchaeus is uh, the most, probably the most wealthy man in Jericho. He very well could have been the most wealthy Jew in all of the nation of Israel. And here Jesus is coming to town. We don't know if he's ever met Jesus before, but certainly word about Jesus has made its way to Jericho. Last week we saw on the outskirts of Jericho, Jesus healed two blind men. So a big crowd was following with Jesus and it sparked Zacchaeus' curiosity. And it says, Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. Notice it doesn't say Zacchaeus was seeking to see Jesus. The crowds were constantly trying to catch a glimpse of Jesus. It says Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. He was trying to figure out for himself if Jesus was who he heard Jesus was, if Jesus really was who he says he was, and if Jesus could really do what he said he could do. This guy was sharp. Like he had built a business, he had climbed the corporate ladder, he had worked his way up to the top, he had employees under him, he had built a business, he had navigated relationships between the people of Jericho and the people of Rome. He probably wasn't going to just blindly follow the Jesus he heard about, so he went to investigate for himself. He had this holy curiosity, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He was looking to see if Jesus was who he says he was. Um, and so what does Jesus do? Or, First of all, let's, let's unpack this. He's seeking to see who Jesus was, which is always the invitation of Jesus. I don't know if you realize this or not. Jesus always invites us to look for the truth. Even when his own friends and followers had questions about him, he didn't tell them just to blindly believe or just come follow me. He did invite them to follow him, but he was constantly saying things like John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus claimed to be not only true, he claimed to be the truth, which is an incredibly bold claim if it's not true, right? But if it's true, Jesus is saying, look for truth and you will find me. Look for truth and you will find me. And if you find me, you will find a restored relationship with the God who created you, the Father. This wasn't just true in the first century. It was true, it's true in the 20th, 21st century. One of my favorite stories is the story of Lee Strobel. Maybe you've read his book, The Case for Christ. Someone was writing a biography on Lee Strobel, and he said this. He said, it's 1980, and Lee Strobel is facing a crisis. He's the legal affairs editor of the prestigious Chicago Tribune newspaper. He's an avowed, at the same time, he's an avowed atheist. His crisis, his wife has become a Christian. And in his mind, she's fallen victim to a cult. So this top-flight journalist set out to gather evidence that would free his wife and save his marriage, challenging experts in many fields with questions. For two years, Lee Strobel's talked to experts in the field of archaeology and faith and religion. The end result was he gave his life to Jesus. 
And, and I, I love that story because so often I think what the church, the idea that the world puts forward about the church is like, if you want to have faith, you're just kind of an idiot. You're just kind of following the masses. But the truth is, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you seek to see who Jesus is, you will find, if you seek to find truth, you will find Jesus. And if you find Jesus, you can find a restored relationship with Jesus. So where does this overlap with our story? I'd say if you have questions about Jesus, I would invite you to look for yourself. Seek to see who Jesus is. Investigate the claims about Jesus. Investigate the things that Jesus says. Look for truth. Find someone that is willing to look with you. I'd be happy to meet with anyone that wants to investigate the truth and find Jesus. I'll tell you what I know. I'm willing to learn alongside you. We meet for coffee and have a conversation this week because when we look for Jesus, when we look for truth, we find Jesus. What really fascinates me, though, is Zacchaeus, from the outside looking in, had everything put together, but he had this internal longing for more. He, was, he, he had a power, he had prestige, he had a position, he had a portfolio, he could buy friends if he really wanted them, but there was something in him that was longing for more, more life, more meaning, more purpose, more from his relationships, more from his family. And what he didn't realize, but where he started looking, is he was longing for more of God, more of his purpose in his life, more of his plan, more of, his, uh, more of God in his life. And I would say that all of us, whether we realize it or not, from some point or another, have that same longing as Zacchaeus did. They were longing for more. We don't know what it is. We just know there's got to be more. Maybe it's you've achieved the, the pinnacle of success and you're uh, wealthy or retired or well on your way. The career track is well underfoot. You've got credible family. And all of the things just seem to be light, falling into place. But there's just this desire for more, 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 more. That's why we started Eastside a few years ago, to lead others to experience immeasurably more. The trick is the more is more of God. Right? That's what Zacchaeus said. He went looking to see if, God, if Jesus was who he says he was. Was he really God in the flesh? At the same time, it says he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So Zacchaeus, big personality, big portfolio, all this power given to him by, by Rome, but a small guy. And not just a small guy, he wasn't going to be very well respected. So you can kind of imagine the crowd is coming through Jericho, and it's like a, a parade at Disney. People are lying on both sides of the street just kind of hoping to catch a glimpse of Jesus passing by. And Zacchaeus is curious. He's got this holy curiosity, this longing for more. He's seeking to see who Jesus was. And he's, you kind of envision him like running behind the crowd, trying to poke through. And these guys, said they had enough of Zacchaeus, so he might be able to take their money but he was not going to take their place in line, and they kind of push him out of the way. So what does he do? He, he runs ahead and climbs a sycamore tree. But so often, just like with Zacchaeus, the crowd can keep people from coming to Jesus. The sad reality is sometimes it is the followers of Jesus that pe pe keep people from coming to Jesus. Like sometimes it's the, the way you've experienced the followers of Christ that keep you from investigating Christ. My, my challenge would be to you, if that's your story, if you've been a part of a church or been betrayed by someone who claimed to be a Christian, we're all trying to figure this out. If you have a conviction that there's more to be found in Jesus, don't let the crowd stand in your way. If you have a questionable experience with the church, don't let that stop you from coming to Jesus because the truth is we are all trying to figure out how to follow Jesus together. And Zacchaeus was not going to be stopped. It says this, it says, He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on the crown of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Verse 4 says, So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. Now, this is a pretty significant detail. 
Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed a tree, which we've told the story so many times over the last 2,000 years, we just kind of expect that to be the way the story goes. But the truth was, in those days, people did not run. Dignified people did not run. It was considered undignified to run, which is why I don't run. I'm trying to be biblical, <laughs> right? And my best friends who go to church with me make fun of me when I do run at softball. Therefore, I don't run. But Zacchaeus was willing to humble himself and run ahead of the crowd so that he could see who Jesus was for himself. And he didn't just run ahead of the crowd. He went and climbed a tree. Who climbs trees? Kids, right? Kids climb trees. Kids love to climb trees. So Zacchaeus is literally the the most powerful man in the city of Jericho. He's got Roman soldiers by his side, but when he can't see Jesus, he wanted to see who Jesus was. He wasn't able to see Jesus. He completely humbled himself. He was probably wearing the equivalent of like a, I don't really know designer brand, like a designer suit of some kind. $5,000 suit, his robe would have been equivalent to. He kind of hikes it up. He runs ahead. He may have to take take off that outer garment in order to climb up the tree, but he wanted to see who Jesus was. He had this holy curiosity, this longing for more. He had this conviction that Jesus might be the answer for his life, and he wasn't going to let the crowd stand in his way, which really impresses me because as we see the story unfolding, it takes a tremendous amount of humility to come to Jesus, doesn't it? It takes us being willing to admit, it might look like from the outside looking in, we've got our whole life put together, but there's something inside of us that says there must be more to life. And if we're going to investigate Jesus, if we're going to look to see if Jesus really was who he says he was, it takes that kind of humility. Now, you may not have to run, you may not have to climb a sycamore tree, but you may have to admit to the people doing life around you that you don't have your whole life figured out. You may have to admit that there's some some sin and some struggles in your life that you've hidden well for a long time, and it looks like you've got everything put together, but you've got a holy curiosity, a longing for more, and you're going to go ahead, even if it's by yourself, ahead of the crowd, ahead of your friends, ahead of your family, to investigate Jesus. And if you catch a glimpse of him as he walks by, you're going to be able to see for yourself who Jesus was. James, the brother of Jesus, would say in his epistle, he would say, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. It's so hard to humble ourselves before God. But from the Old Testament and the New Testament, it says God opposes the proud, those who are too proud to admit they don't have their life put together, but he gives grace to the humble. It's when we're willing to admit to ourselves and to God and to those around us that there's got to be more, and maybe the more is Jesus, that we're willing to run ahead, which Zacchaeus' determination really impresses me because he's willing to do whatever it took to see who Jesus was. And I'm impressed because we aren't willing to get up early to come to church sometimes, right? You have a late night. It's like, maybe I'll miss church this week. Not willing to get up early or stay up late, drive more than a few minutes, read the Bible for ourselves, sing a song we don't like. The list goes on and on. Zacchaeus was willing to kind of put aside all of his pride, all of himself to run ahead to see Jesus. And the story goes like this. It says that when Jesus came to the place, we're in verse 5, when Jesus came to the place... He looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. When they saw it, the crowd saw it, they all grumbled. They said, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And so again, we kind of have to like look through the lens of 2,000 years of history and culture and imagine the story as it's unfolding. Jesus is on this journey to Jerusalem. He's going to be crucified on a cross in less than a week. But at this point, he is the most popular guy in all 
of the country. People are following him. They've heard him preach. They've heard him teach. They've seen him perform miracles. They are infatuated with Jesus. People are coming to Jerusalem for the Passover, so the crowd is just so large, and you can imagine the crowd is following Jesus, and everyone is kind of pushing their way to get to the front, and Jesus is walking through the city of Jericho on his way to the cross, the purpose for which he came. He comes to, it just says, when he came to the place, he came to the place, a a certain sycamore tree, a seemingly inconspicuous tree, he looked up, he sees Zacchaeus, makes eye contact with him and says, Zacchaeus, you've got to come down because I must go to your house today. It's a divine appointment with Jesus. The reason Jesus was passing through Jericho wasn't just to make it to Jerusalem. He was there to meet Zacchaeus, which begs the question, how among all the people and all the crowd did Jesus know Zacchaeus was in that sycamore tree? Because he was Jesus. He was He is God in the flesh who came from heaven to earth to pursue us. And if you're trying to figure out who Jesus is, the thing is Jesus already knows you. He was there when you were created. He created you. He came for you. He was crucified for you. He conquered death for you. And he's called you by name to follow him. When Jesus looks up in the tree, he sees Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, you've got to come down. And the truth is, wherever we find ourselves today, whether we're far from God or trying to figure out faith, we've been feebly following God for some time, Jesus is calling us today to follow him. And he says, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house. The reason Jesus was there was this divine appointment with Zacchaeus. Here's the thing, like, you didn't just happen to be at his side today. I mean, the Holy Spirit is at work drawing us to himself, to aligning circumstances so we can hear this story. You and me and everyone else hear the story about Zacchaeus to know the way that God longs for a relationship with his people. Zacchaeus, verse 6, it says, He hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. So Zacchaeus comes down the tree quickly. He invites Jesus into his, he receives him. He invited him to his home. He prepared a meal before him. He probably had his friends and fellow tax collectors with him. And I can only imagine the conversation that took place over dinner that day. I mean, can you imagine that conversation between Jesus and Zacchaeus? Like, first of all, I think Zacchaeus had a lot of questions. Like, Jesus, I've heard a lot of things about you. First of all, I want to know, are those things true? Did you really heal a blind guy on the way, on, on the way in town? That Jesus is like, yeah, I did. And here's his name. He might have been in the crowd following Jesus. And, you know, I, I've heard all of these Old Testament uh, prophecies. I haven't been in the temple in a really long time because the way I decided to build my life you know, just wasn't going to be compatible and wasn't invited in the temple. And Jesus probably went through, like, one by one. Like, all of these prophecies are finding their full and complete fulfillment in me. Zacchaeus begins to answer all the objections. You know, Jesus, tell me about the dinosaurs, right? Because that's what's standing between all of us and full faith in Jesus, right? It's the dinosaurs. And I'm sure Jesus says, like, Zacchaeus, this is the story of the dinosaurs. It wasn't as big a deal. And Zacchaeus, okay, goes through all of the objections. And finally, he says, so Jesus, tell me why you really came. And Jesus said, we're going to see just a moment, I came to seek and save the lost, I came so that you might find life in me and that immeasurably more that you find yourself longing for. Does that key issue? You've got wealth and you've got a position, you've got a power, you've got a very clear career track. You, you've got uh, friends, granted you paid for all of them, but nonetheless you've got friends that more you long for. Like that, the answer to that is me. I've come that you may have life and have it to the fullest, may have it abundantly. You think your life is in your possessions, your power, your position, your prestige, all of these things. You've already kind of gotten to the bottom of that, the end of yourself, and you found out there must be more to life. That, that's in me. And I don't know, I'm fully speculating, but I, I wonder if Zacchaeus looked and said, but Jesus, 
I understand that maybe for the crowd that's following you, for the people in the temple, for the, for the kids in Saturday Sabbath school, but, but could that really be for me? And then he starts to recount, here's the things I've done. Like my neighbors next door, I was supposed to collect $1,000 on taxes from them last year. I, I took 4500 Jesus is like, yeah, I know, you stole from them. And then, you know, the neighbors next door, the, the poor widow that had nothing, I took everything she had left. You, could you really come for me? And Jesus says, yes, Zacchaeus, like, I came to seek and save the lost. I came for you. And I don't know how the conversation went, but I know where it led. It says in verse 8, it says, Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, So behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. If I have defrauded anyone out of anything, I will restore it fourfold. What's Zacchaeus doing? It looks like, from the outside looking in through 2,000 years of history, it looks like Zacchaeus is just giving his money away, right? But Zacchaeus is more than giving his money away. He's giving his life to Jesus because while it looks like he's just giving money away, for Zacchaeus, money was his life. He had, you have to understand, like Zacchaeus had turned his life on everything. He turned his life on his friends. He turned his life on his family. He had turned his life on God. He, would, he was turning his life on his opportunity to go to the temple and have a relationship with God to, for the sake of making money, which because Zacchaeus put his trust in money, he decided that if he could just accumulate enough money, if he could just accumulate enough money, life would offer, he would give everything, it would give him, afford him the opportunity for all that life had to offer. So when Zacchaeus stands up and he starts saying, in the presence of everybody that is there, Lord, I'm going to give my possessions away. I'm going to be generous instead of greedy. I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. If I've taken anything from anyone, I'm going to give them fourfold in return. What Zacchaeus is doing is he's what we call repenting. He's turning his back on his way of life, and he's turning his life over to Jesus. Zacchaeus had put his trust in money. Instead, now he's putting his trust in Jesus, and he's giving away the one thing he spent his life pursuing. This is what repentance looks like. It's one of those things we talk about so often in church. If you want to follow Jesus, you've got to repent. You've got to repent. It just sounds so terrible because we think like hellfire and brimstone. All it means is we turn our life around and turn our life over to Jesus. And so the things that we put our trust in to provide life for us, we realize that they're ultimately going to fail us, and we trust Jesus to do what only Jesus can do. So the question then would be, like, where are you putting your trust? Is it money? It might not have to be money, but if this story makes you uncomfortable, it probably is money. I think there's a little bit in all of us that is longing for more money. But maybe it's position. Maybe you're willing to turn your back on your friends and your family. You turn your back on God to achieve some position, some standing, some prestige in the world. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's just control. Maybe you put your trust in your own efforts. If you could just be a good enough person, God would be good with you. If I could just get this, then I would have life to the fullest. And you've kind of exhausted, or maybe you're getting to the end of that, and you've exhausted your efforts, and you're finding out there must be more to life. The example of Zacchaeus simply shows that if we will turn our life over to Jesus, we will find more in him than anything the world can offer us. It says, the story ends in verse 9. It says, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to his house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. All right, so this, this verse is kind of confusing, right? Jesus says to Zacchaeus, he stands up and he repents in the, in the presence of all his friends. Today, he says, salvation has come to his house, since he is also a son of Abraham. This story is full of those things that we talk about in church all the time. It's got confession and repentance and humility. And then it gets to salvation. And like, what is salvation? Like, you've been in church before, right? What is salvation? When you think about salvation, what do you think of? 
I always think it means, man, we're saved from our sins, right? You might think I'm not even, you don't, I'm not even sure if you've ever committed a sin, but you know that Jesus is the one that came to save you from your sins. But the truth is, salvation is so, yes, of course, Jesus saves us from our sins. But Jesus saves us to himself. Like he saves us from the life we were living on our own, and he gives us life in himself. Today, salvation has come to this house. He is also a son of Abraham. If you have your Bible, flip over with me to Galatians chapter 3, because this is really confusing. But Jesus is speaking to a first century Jew. And the patriarch of the Jewish faith was Abraham. And Paul would later write a letter to the church in the city of Galatia, a church gathered, much like you and I, to instruct them on the things of faith and life. And he says this, he says, does he who supplies the spirit to you and, and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Zacchaeus, Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house because he is a son of Abraham. What does that mean? Like, I'm not Jewish. Ben's kind of Jewish. Most of us aren't Jewish, right? So what does it mean to be a son of, a son of Abraham? What he's saying is, just like Abraham put his faith in God and was willing to go wherever God called him to go, just as Abraham was willing to put his faith in God and follow God and ultimately found the blessings of God, when we put our faith, which is really our trust, when we put our trust in God through Christ, we, like Abraham, will experience the blessings of God. In fact, because the Apostle Paul knew this, we would read this someday as non-Jews. He goes on, he says, In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the peoples be blessed. Um, so then, those who are of faith, blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. It's, it sounds kind of confusing. It's really pretty simple. What Paul is saying, what Jesus is saying is, when we put our faith, our trust, not in ourselves or in our efforts, but our trust in Jesus, we will get a restored relationship with God. We will be saved from our sins. We'll be saved from the consequences of our sins. But even more than that, we will be saved to a restored relationship with Jesus. It says Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Here's something we have to, as we land the plane, think about. Zacchaeus stands up and in the presence of everybody gathered there, his friends, the people he had cheated, the people he had helped, he says, today God I give half my possessions away. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll give it back. And then Jesus says salvation has come to his house. Did Zacchaeus earn his salvation by giving his things away? Never, right? Zacchaeus wasn't saved because of his works, but he was saved for good works. He was saved because he, he repented. He, he saw who Jesus was. He saw Jesus was who he says he was, and he repented of his sins. He says, I put my trust in my money. I put my trust in my resources. I put my trust in my efforts and the things that I could do. I got to the end of it. I figured out there must be more. It's not working. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give away the very thing that's been keeping me from putting my trust in God, and I'm going to put my trust in him. I'm going to put my faith in him. And when Jesus saw his faith, he said, today salvation has come to this house. And from that point forward, we trust that Zacchaeus wasn't saved because of his good works, but he was saved for good works. When Jesus says, I came to seek and to save the lost, that's the purpose for which he came. And in, in less than a week, he'd be nailed to a cross to save us from our sins. But he saved us so that we could spend life with Jesus. And here's the thing. When we talk about 
the story of Jesus. We say he came, he came to seek and save the lost. Like, I don't know about you. I hate being lost. You guys, like, just love the feeling of being lost. Here's the thing. I hate being lost. I have an uncanny ability to get lost. I have zero natural ability, like, natural direction. Some people can just, like, look outside east, west, north, south, figure out the direction, figure out where you need to go. I have no idea whatsoever. And for years, even when I got my driver's license, I'd get lost. I went to the same high school for four years. Half the time I'd get lost going to school. My, my mom would get so frustrated. She said, it's the same road. The roads don't change. It's like, yeah, but it just looked different today. And I ended up somewhere else. Missed school. Shucks. Missed school. I had to come home. Um, but, but something happened when I was like 17 or 18 that changed my life. And I've never been lost since. I found Jesus. No, I found Jesus before that. I got an iPhone, right? And since I've got an iPhone, I have never been lost. Now, trust me, I would get lost still. I didn't change. But now I have directions for everywhere I go. I live seven minutes from church. I still put it in my phone sometimes. Like, how do I get to the church? But the truth is, when you have the, the, the directions with you all the time, you're no longer lost. Jesus doesn't just save us like as a one-time thing. He saves us to follow him. And I just want to end with how the Apostle Paul sums up his letter to the church in Galatia. He says this, he says, but I say, he's already explained to them who Jesus was, that he's the son of God who came to live a perfect life, to die on a cross, to save them from their sins. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you do not want to, or the things you want to do. And what Paul's describing is that feeling we've all felt. There's this inner turmoil. Whether you're trying to follow Jesus or not, you know that there's these things you do that just doesn't feel right. And it's just not producing the results in life that you want. It's not producing the relationships you want. It's not producing a relationship with God. He says, but if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. What he's saying is that when you put your faith in Jesus, you're no longer having to figure out a way back to God on your own. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envies, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He just described all of us, right? All of us have committed some, if not most, of those sins. But then he goes on. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, those like Zacchaeus who've put their faith in him, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires, meaning they've put to death their own effort, which continue to fail. And if we live by the Spirit, if we are in Christ, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost so that we could do life with him. And the really cool thing that I'm still learning is that when we are saved, we're not just saved as like a one-time event, we are saved to walk with Jesus. We're not told what Zacchaeus did. Here's the thing, I know Zacchaeus could not go back to be the chief tax collector. He didn't just give away his money, he was giving away Rome's money. And so I'm thinking Zacchaeus packed up shop in a moment, he followed Jesus. In just under a week, he would see the man who knew him by name, who touched his heart, nailed to a cross. He would see him breathe his last breath. He would see him because he was a curious guy. I'm sure he saw Jesus thrown into a tomb, and three days later, he saw him raised from the dead. And it changed the eternal trajectory of Zacchaeus' life. 
Jesus came to seek and to save the lost so that we would not have to be lost because he will lead us through life. Here's the, the call of Jesus is come follow me. If you're here today and you're trying to figure out faith, if you've been figuring out faith for a really long time, or if you're just people trying to follow Jesus, we want to walk with you. We want to help you figure out faith because that immeasurably more that God offers, that longing for more that you have is only found in God. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your goodness and grace. And what a privilege it is to gather together as your people to sing songs of praise, to make much of you, to take a time of communion, to confess our sins, our shortcomings, our failures, but to be reminded of your grace. Father, I'm thankful for the opportunity to sit under your word and read these ancient stories, these real life encounters with people like Zacchaeus. And Father, I pray that as we think about as we ponder, as we seek to see who Jesus was, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just give us eyes to see who you are and what you've done for us. And Father, I know that we're coming from all over. Some of us are coming from really, really far from you. Little to no interest in you. I pray that you would give us a holy discontentment, a conviction, like Zacchaeus, a longing for more, that we would look at the life that we have built, and even if it looks good from the outside, look in, we'd realize there is a longing for more, a more of who you are. God, some of us have been trying to follow you off and on for some time. It seems inconsistent. We realize that even as we try to follow you, like Zacchaeus, we will betray you to build our own life. Father, that you would just give us a sense of humility and draw us back in. Father, for those of us who are are really trying hard to run after you, following you, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to do it by the power of your spirit. You would remind us that you came to seek and to save the lost, that you're the one who's seeking us, that we don't have to find our way back to you, but you are willing, when you save us, to dwell in us, to allow us to walk with you. Father, wherever we're coming to you from, Lord, we pray that as we make much of you, you would make yourself known to us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.